morning, Genesis chapter 2. It's been a good morning to honor these men. I guess y'all was wondering when I had time to color, and I was presenting my coloring sheet to each one of them, but that wasn't a coloring sheet. I meant to introduce this. That was a gift certificate for a free meal. Amen. That's, I thought, well, what can we get these veterans? And I thought about what I like to do the most, and uh, that's eat. And I like this restaurant uh, down on South Hamilton because it's right next to the storefront where we started our church. So I go by and look at that and rejoice and thank God for our heritage and our foundation. And go in there and eat some chicken and gravy and biscuits and uh, stuffed bell pepper and called Caf, uh, Lisa's Cafe, and so she donated all that to all our, all our um, veterans, and so that's a paid political announcement for you to go and eat there sometime, amen? I told of an angel that came to Adam before Eve was ever created and said to Adam, Adam, I have a proposition for you. We're going to craft you an individual. He said, what? An individual? Someone like you, but different. Oh, what will... It'd be like, he said, well, it's going to be a she. A she, well, what will she do? Well, when you come in from tending the garden, she'll be there at the door, beautifully adorned, and she'll smell so sweet, and she'll open up her arms and give you a big hug and bring you in, and, and uh, she'll kiss you, and she'll bring you the newspaper uh, or scroll. And to you, and she'll bring some slippers for you, and she'll massage your shoulders, and then she'll have a wonderful meal there, and afterwards she'll do the dishes, and then she'll just sit at your feet and look at you and be ready to do anything you want her to do. He said, well, that sounds wonderful. He said, what's that going to cost me? And the angel said, well, that's going to cost you a right arm and a leg. He said, oh, what do you think I'd get for just a rib? <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord, amen. I needed to laugh. It's been a rough weekend. Amen. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to read this passage where uh, God thought of marriage and He thought of male and female and He made us different. Can somebody say amen? I'll not give my joke Adam and Eve was not Adam and Steve because Brother Steve's here. He gets offended every time I tell that joke. Uh, but um, I said that one time when a, a church I was visiting on the road and a lady got really offended because she was of the other lifestyle. And she said, I just can't believe you called my lifestyle an abomination. The lady that brought her said, he didn't call that an abomination. The Bible said it was. I said, thank you for getting me off that hook, praise God. But I wasn't going to back down. It is abomination. Amen. I'm glad my wife's different. And I'm glad she does sit at my feet and ask me whatever she, uh, I, she can do. <laughs> that was a dream I had last night. Hallelujah. But anyway. <clears throat> But I want us to stand on the Word of God. Amen. I think it's hard to smile in church. I'm here most of the time, and uh, I think it's hard to be happy and, and have a good time. I don't believe this is a concert where we sway in the dark and uh, have an have a orchestrated uh, or worship. I believe we worship like we just worship. Old-fashioned hymns for me. This morning I got up about 6 o'clock and just started meditating on hymns. And I ran across one that we hadn't sung in a while. I want us to sing it tonight or at the end of the service. How firm a foundation. I want to tell you something, to the modern generation, that's about as dead a song as you can get. But I want to tell you something, if you'll, if you'll look at the words, if you'll look at the words of that great hymn, folks, I don't want to sing anything but it. Amen? And I know there's some good courses, and thank God for that. But I'll just stick to old-fashioned worship. Amen? With a lot of lights. And we're about to change that. 
Amen. Let's look at verse 18. And the Lord God said, this is how it really happened. That joke didn't happen. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Can all of you men say amen right there? I mean, we're pitiful, aren't we? Matter of fact, if, if the wife dies, it takes about two months for us to find another one. Amen? That's pathetic. Amen? You ought to at least wait a week. I mean, a, a year. Amen? It's not good that man be alone. But don't rush it. It says, and the Lord God said, it is not good. I know I offended somebody with that one. But anyway, and, I, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for her. What a great, great privilege it is to compliment each other. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl there and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the fowl there, to every beast of the field. But, Adam, there was, but for Adam there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the, rib, the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her into man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father. Here's my text. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Now... The serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of, the, of every tree of the garden. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for these men that we've honored. But God, we're here ultimately to honor you in our praise and our worship. Dear God, in everything we do, we want you, God, to be magnified. And we want you to be uh, lifted up above all others. But God, thank you for these men that paid a price, especially those, Lord, that never came back, God, to give us this freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, be with us as we continue this family series. God, I've enjoyed it. I hope the folks have got something out of it because, God, we know that's the pivotal place that the devil wants to ruin our lives is in our home. It's the Trojan horse of not only America but our churches. And, God, I pray that you'd fortify us and help us, God, to have a marriage that pleases you and glorifies your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You know, I do appreciate these men. Uh, I was visiting yesterday afternoon. There was a young man that uh, was visiting with us Wednesday night. And I, I was concerned because he, he went out and he didn't come back in after a while. And I said, what was wrong? Uh, you know, usually we stay in the service. And he said, well, I'll be, I'll be there tomorrow. He had to apply for a job. He'll be here tonight. Had a long talk with him. He began to tear up a little bit and he said, uh, preacher, I couldn't stay in the service. I said, why not? He says, because I started looking at that army flag and I thought about my brother. He was over in Afghanistan. He, had a, he was a medic. And it was a, a, one of those uh, uh, ISIS or somebody that said, my baby was sick, my baby's sick, and he brought a bundle and placed it in, in the medic's hand. And it was a bomb blew him up. And he, and he, and he, and he died. And I thought, I said, you know something, son, you can get out, you can come out, you can walk around all you want, and we're so sorry that you lost your brother. I hope he was saved. And then I began to witness to him. He didn't get saved, but he's on the verge of it, so you pray for him. And I appreciate him being here Wednesday night. 
But you know, fo- folks, I'm going to tell you something. God thought of marriage. And He paid the ultimate price for us to have not just marriage, but spiritual oneness. And that, you know, I really believe as we honor these men, we ought to honor God as the foundation for our, our, our country, the foundation for our families. And there is no other foundation. How firm a foundation there is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in this book. Say amen. I think it's kind of redundant, and I think it's very uh, uh, stubborn, and I think it's prideful for you to try to build a relationship, a marriage, or raise children without consulting God. He thought of it. The Bible says it in Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to read verse 18. It says, And God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. I want you to look at that word, that phrase, I will make. Folks, I want to tell you, the first family was formed by God, it was founded by His power, and it was sanctioned by His authority. I believe it's alright to be married. I recommend it. Praise God, I've been married to the same woman 42, 3 years. 43 years. We'll never forget that. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this. Folks, I wouldn't trade her for anyone else. I'd marry her again in a second. It took me four years to get up the nerve uh, to propose to her, but she really proposed to me. No, she didn't really. I can't lie in the pulpit. And I was crazy to wait that long. People come in my office all the time and say, uh, you know, for premarital counseling, I have three counseling sessions with uh, everybody that I do the ceremony. And I, I mean that. And they got to be saved. And they got to have, they got to have the parents' approval or I just don't touch it because it won't work. And I want you to know, friend, they look, come in there like they've been called into the office. I mean, they're scared to death. they got a sad look on their face. I said, hey, loosen up. I'm for this thing, amen? I'm for y'all getting married. Marriage is of God. Every family is built upon the, this source of authority. I will make a helpmeet. There, there are two directions you can turn to uh, for the source of your authority and your family decisions and your core values. I taught a couple of years ago, and I do these retreats, and I've got books after books, and I'm using the introduction to one of the lessons I taught in 2014 up in Boone, North Carolina. But I want to tell you something, friend. I, 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 teach, I teach these and preach these all over uh, America, so to speak, or the Southeast anyway, and people look at me like, you know, I, I don't need this, or they won't come to the couple's retreats because they got something more to do or it'll cost them $150. But I want to tell you something, friend. Uh, there was one lesson I preached on heavenly values. We ought to have heavenly values in our home. We ought to be sometimes so uh, heavenly good that we're uh, uh, so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. If you're going to go on the extreme, you ought to go on the extreme of doing what God says and what God ordains, and it's authority that He'll bless your home if you will welcome His presence and line up with His Word and have the wisdom of God. But there's two sources of authority that most people get their their. Um, their decisions and their values from. Number one, it's their childhood culture. The way you were brought up. I want to tell you something, that's why it's so important, parents, that you get your act together and that you stay together and that you love each other because I'm going to tell you something, they're looking for a pattern of permanency. They're looking for a pattern of stability. They're looking for some peace and joy. And I'm going to tell you this, friend, they ought to see it in mom and daddy. Say amen. But there's a lot of parents that are raising their children up wrong. Number one, they're shacking and not getting married. That's a sin. You say, I didn't come here to hear that. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that we ought to get married and we ought to do it legally and and not just have a trial period 
and uh, not have commitment in our marriage. It won't work. It just won't work if there's not commitment. But children are raised up in that. Now we have same-sex marriages and kids are being raised up in that. God, help our nation. We're in the last days. I believe that with all my heart. But then there's also the culture around us. You know, the president quoted uh, uh, about uh, same-sex marriage um, uh, a few years back, and he said that Hollywood mocks morality and belittles the institution of marriage, but why don't you just look at their marriage and see if you want to model after them. Most of them have been married five or six times. Most of them uh, uh, are living like hellions and, and uh, folks free sex and all kinds of things. And we lift them up as uh, heroes and we lift them up as our value system. Folks, Hollywood's never been a good value system. Say amen. It's the Word of God that will help you have your marriage and a firm foundation. So there's a firm family foundation and, and it's God-oriented and it's God-ordained. Uh, Look at verse 18. It says this. It says, I'll make... Uh, help me for him. It's not good that man be alone. Marriage is a divine institute designed by God, and he has the blueprints. Amen? It's the Word of God. This is the best marriage manual you'll ever read, you'll ever heed. You that are dating, you that wish you were dating, you that are single, don't you dare go out and choose someone according to this culture. Choose one, someone according to what God wants. You ought to date somebody saved, number one, and then also more spiritual than you. Or one day you're going to have trouble. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So God said it's not good that man be alone, but don't let loneliness uh, get some blueprints that you shouldn't get. Hey, listen, what if I had a B2 bomber, bomber and I just wanted to, put, I wanted to start making one? If I, you know, you would have to have some blueprints, detailed blueprints, and somebody that could read those blueprints. It'd be absurd to think that I could just put a bomber together, I could put a plane together, because, you know, everybody else is doing it. No, I'd have some blueprints. If you build this building, or, uh, or whatever, you have blueprints. Folks, God's Word is God's divine blueprint. We need to go by His Word. There is a firm foundation for your marriage. And I'm preaching it. God's Word. We must get God's instruction on marriage and the family. God has given us a book. And folks, it's principles, it's precepts, it's promises. And folks, if you go by that, the Bible promises you won't be ashamed, the last verse, and you will have a great and wonderful and fulfilled marriage. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, please. Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. Whew, it's hot up here. Amen. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 3 and 4. Real quick. I didn't plan to go to this verse, so I'd have had it marked. Because when I preach, I get nervous and I can't find Genesis. But uh, I'm going I'm to get to it in just a minute, I promise you. But Proverbs chapter 24 talks about wisdom. And, and about several years ago, um, I started a Sunday school class. And uh, when I taught Sunday school, and I tell you what, it was packed out with people that wanted to know about marriage because the bible says in proverbs 24 verse 4 through wisdom is a house built and by understanding it is established that means you'll have a foundation look at verse 4 and by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches and folks those riches are spiritual riches that money can not buy you want to have a fantastic family you need to go by the word of god you need to have a foundation that christ is the solid rock and all other ground is seeking sand. 
Number two, it's not only a, a, a God-oriented foundation, but it's a goal-oriented foundation. I've been preaching the last three Sundays on uh, one of the greatest New Testament verses on marriage. Heirs together of the grace of life. The Bible says, Husbands, honor your wife as the weaker vessel. Giving honor into them. You want to energize your marriage, you need to give honor to your mate. You need to honor your wife as a gift from God. Amen. Not a gift from society. Not a gift from your own flesh and fantasies of what a woman ought to be to you. But God's gift to you. And if you appreciate her and cherish her and love her, she'll have no problem uh, uh, submitting to you as unto the Lord. Because it'll be God's love through you. But folks, I want you to see uh, another great verse. Probably the greatest verse in the Old Testament on marriage is found in the first marriage, Genesis 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Folks, there's a goal here, and I preach it all the time, and I think it's one of my favorite themes to preach anywhere, anytime, is that we need to be spiritually one. The goal is oneness. Unity and togetherness. Leave and cleave. The Lord's saying there's a temporary relationship in the family life, but there's a permanent relationship also in the family life. That you leave. That does not mean you sever the relationship with your parents. But it does mean that you cut the apron strings and grow up. Men. There ought to be a lady right here to start shouting, but she wouldn't. It means that you cut the apron strings financially. It means you cut the apron strings of dependency. See, when you get married, your daddy no longer is the one in charge. He has the, he has the chain of counsel, not the chain of command. And I'm not saying the husband has the chain of command, but he sure has the chain of leadership and respect. And I want to tell you something, his greatest need is significance and her greatest need is security. And when, friend, you support, you, uh, support and love and back up your man, and he has a sense of significance... And if he abuses that, God will get his number. Amen? Folks, listen, if you're his conscious, he's answering to you. If you're not his conscious, he's answering to God. Amen? And so, folks, a lot of women libbers ought to be Adam's ribber and get in their place. And it's not a place of less importance, but it's a place of counsel, it's a place of encouragement, and it's a place of compliment. It's not divine comp competition. It's divine completion. Amen? And folks, I'm not complete without my wife. I love her, and I love her encouragement. And if you don't think that she's been an integral part of me staying in one church 40 years, I was introduced down at the college I preached at uh, down in Calhoun Bible College, and they said, he's been there 40 years. And they all looked at me like, 40 years? In the same place? 40 years in the same place. And I thought, man, 40 years in the same place? That's something else. Amen? But you know why? Because I had an encourager. And when I wanted to quit, my wife didn't want to quit. Thank God we didn't want to quit the same week. Hallelujah. <laughs> She's an encourager. She's not a glorified cheerleader either. She is a, a, a professional liar. She says that my sermons are the best she's ever heard and that I'm her favorite preacher, so I appreciate that. Amen. I'll ask her, how did I do? Oh, that was great. I thought, oh, my. God forgive her. I bombed out on that one. Listen, it means your marriage is now a higher priority. Folks, listen, that's priority. And I, I appreciate you coming here, and I appreciate you coming back on Sunday night, because I want to tell you something. This is a whole lot cheaper than the divorce court. 
And it's a whole lot more fun than having your children have visiting hours with you. Come on now, I'm being honest. I'm being very open. I'm being very blunt. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Divorce will tear you apart. And I don't, I don't say that divorcees are second-class saints, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. It's hard to get over. And it's hard for the children to get over. And that's why I preach this, is that, folks, the priority of your life ought to be to build your ministry to your mate. Your greatest ministry is your ministry to your mate. That doesn't mean you stay home every soul winning and say you've got family time. The greatest family time is serve God together. And, folks, I want to tell you something. If you want to really do that, then give up the ball games, men, and have family time. I'm preaching now. Say amen. I'm telling you what. Give up, uh, give up all those hours you spend cheering for your favorite team, and then they lose. And, you know, you just say, hey, listen, listen, give that up if you want priority. Oh, no, I can't, I can't go so well. I can't go to Sunday school. We're spending time at uh, Shoney's drinking coffee. I want to tell you something. You'd have a lot better marriage if you would honor God's Word and God's place and God's time and be in Sunday school. Amen. I'm preaching now. Choir, thank you for the amens. But I want you to know, I want you to know, friend, the truth of the matter is we need to leave, but then we need to cleave. That carries the idea of compatibility. You know something? God just made Eve perfect for Adam. I mean, not out of his foot, you dictator men. He, made it, he came out of his heart, his rib. Amen? And uh, it, it's, a, it's a precious blessing to have somebody that you, you have a heart for, that you love, that you cherish, and you don't close her heart with your brutality and your criticism and you're taking each other for granted and fussing and fighting and manipulating. That's about the best you can do in the flesh is manipulate. And I want to tell you something. You that are single now, if you want to get into that, go ahead and register. And folks, they're out there. There's a lot of manipulators and a lot of abusers out there. And folks, I want to tell you something. You don't get any better after marriage. I'm going to tell you something, friend. You need to realize that sometimes they have that capture mentality and they really become mean after they get married. They better treat you right now. If they don't treat you right now, dump the guy. That's Greek for break up. But anyway, look at this. I want you to see this. Leave. It's getting real quiet in here. Singles didn't like that. And then you cleave. You cleave. Folks, that means you're joined together. Look at Matthew chapter 19, what Jesus said about marriage. That must be important. Say amen. It's a foundation. It's the authority. Folks, I've got an authority. It's not Spock or it's not Smalley. It's the, it's the holy, sovereign God that has a plan for my marriage. He thought of it. Now he's got a plan for it. And thank God he's got power to carry it out. Look at this, Matthew 19, verse 3. It says, Pharisees also came to him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They were putting their wife away, and that word means divorcing their wife for burning the toast and other kinds of things. Uh, probably not the toast, but, you know, burning the bread. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that it was, uh, that which uh, made them at the beginning, made them male and female? God made this marriage. And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, uh, father and mother, and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Folks, the wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. That's said at every wedding. Every wedding. That's in the vows. Somebody asked me the other day, he says, where's the vows in the Bible? They're not in there. 
But I don't tell you what your vow ought to be. It ought to be, I'm going to please God with this relationship, and I'm going to hang in there, and I'm not going to endure to the end, but I'm going to enjoy God's plan for my marriage and its oneness. Folks, listen, that, that join together, what, what, therefore no man twain, one, but wherefore God has joined together. The word join means to be glued together. How many of you men ever use liquid nail on plywood? Amen? And especially if you use it on particle board, you put those two pieces together with uh, liquid nail. When it comes apart, what happens? Some of it's left behind. Amen? And I want to tell you something. There's particles everywhere. And it doesn't come apart. And I want to tell you something, folks. God wants you to be committed to each other. I'm talking about commitment. That's why this premarital plan B prenuptial stuff is of the devil. I mean, listen, if you've got plan B, plan A is not going to work. You need to have a, an idea of commitment. Well, I mean, I've got to be married to that guy the rest of my life. Well, then you don't need to date him then. Amen? You ought to thank God. Hey, listen, I am so glad that Miss Connie is my Miss Connie. And I'm, I, I look forward to going home. I look forward to eating uh, with her and those good meals she cooks every night. And I, I just, uh, you know, I love, the, I love just riding down the road with her uh, unless somebody cuts me off and she's trying to tell me how to drive. But um, I love it all. I just love, mar I love her. I love being married. And, and I'm so thankful that she's with me and for me and encourages me. And, and it just makes life a lot calmer, peacefuler, I mean, just, it just, uh, just happier, amen? And folks, it's God's plan. It's not manipulation and maneuvering and fussing and fighting and the kids become nervous wrecks like I was when I was a kid. I believe the number one requirement for marriage is this, commitment. Commitment. Commitment to love each other and folks to commit to yield to God's love to each other. See, this, this marriage thing is beyond. I can't understand how anybody could love your wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's sacrificially. That's unconditionally. That's eternally. And that's giving and loving, not getting and manipulating. And folks, I'll tell you why that is impossible in the flesh. Because God thought of it and God empowers you by His Spirit to let him be who he is through you to your mate. You know, there's a lot of people think, well, it's her fault and it's his fault. I'm going to tell you what, it's both your faults if you're not yielding to God's word and God's love and God's spirit. Some people say, there's no fault divorce. No, there's a lot of fault. And usually they're both, both party. And everybody thinks that you're the innocent party and it's all their fault. But I want to tell you something, friend. I believe, and I can take you back to it, a person that prays together, a couple that puts God first in every way and every day, I'm going to tell you something, the gates of hell can break that marriage up. It's when we get neglectful and we get uh, selfish and we get, we get uh, slack and we just don't want to include God every day in every decision, in every action, in every reaction. We just leave the maker out. You've got to be right with your maker before you can be right with your ma mate. You've got to be right with your Savior before you can be right with your spouse. And folks, the closer you get to God, the closer you'll be to each other. And then thirdly, and lastly, we need not only have God-oriented foundation, we need a grace, uh, we need a, a gold-oriented, 
foundation, and that means your, your goal is to be spiritually one. That means your goal is not to get what you want. It's to give and love and sacrifice that God would be magnified. It's God-oriented. God is the foundation and authority for this marriage. Then last but not least, it's grace-oriented. Look at verse 25. It says, or 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Outside of marriage, it's a shame. But then, wouldn't it be great if the story ended there? And there was a verse 26, of, and I'm not there trying to add to the Word of God, but there was verse 26 that said, And they all lived happily ever after. No, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the devil comes on the scene. Right after this wonderful bringing together oneness, not being ashamed, the devil shows up. And he's subtle. And he begins to deceive. And folks, he begins to attack. He, gives, he begins to devour by dividing. He begins to deceive. Thinking maybe the grass is greener on the other side. That's the fantasy of an affair. You ought to have an affair in your own marriage. You ought to keep the water fresh at home. Proverbs chapter 5. The most important message I preached in this series was last Sunday night on every man's battle. Pornography and emotional affair. That was the most important message. If you missed it, you need to catch it. But I want to tell you something, folks. It's an attack from Satan to ruin your marriage. And it's in the church. And folks, listen. The devil knows how to get a, a, a man's mind. The devil knows how to close a, a, a dear lady's heart with bitterness and with hurt. And then God knows how to, uh, the devil knows how to put fire on it with uh, lack of forgiveness and stubbornness and vainglory and bitterness and malice and wrath. And folks, some couples fight like cats and dogs and nobody wins. Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered into the family. There's the problem. That's what the Bible says. Genesis, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says that through Adam all of us are sinners. Our great-great-grandparents and even Christians are, 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 are sinners saved by grace. And two sinners can never meet each other's needs. You know, a lot of people are trying to find somebody that they can just find that will meet all their needs. I mean, they're looking, they're like shopping. You know, they're in a Walmart for a husband. Praise God, here it is. I'm, I got my idea. That's why God put Adam to sleep because he knew that Adam would get in the way because he would order somebody like he wanted. He said, I'm going to give you what you want and what you need, more important. And folks, I want to tell you something. If you get in this thing for what you can get, you're already starting the wrong way. You need to get in marriage for what you can give. And you need to realize it's the greatest ministry on this earth. And I'm going to say this, friend. I get excited about it. I get excited about how our children are turning out. I get excited that they love God and they want to do something for God. I get excited about the grandchildren. One of the grandchildren was in Trent's office this morning and and uh, uh, one of the students, you know, one of the ministerial students, the, uh, the student of, uh, of uh, going on the mission field said, Hey, son, do you have permission to be in the assistant pastor's office? Old Bryce looked up at him and said, I want to tell you something. That's my uncle. And I can be here anytime I want to be. Brother Trent looked at him and says, Hey, and leave him alone. 
Amen. <laughs> and I want to tell you, so I was proud that he felt comfortable in the house of God and that he wanted to be around Uncle Trent in his office. And folks, I want to tell you something. I get excited about hearing things like that. Excited about them surrendering to preach. Excited about them. But I want to tell you something. What I'm excited about most of all is that they treat their wife, my daughters, as a gift from God. They respect and they honor. And folks, I want to tell you something. Sin could ruin it in a second. One night of sin could ruin and devastate the future for my grandchildren. The future for my daughters to be happy even though they go around the world following their husband, Miss Brunella. She's so happy. She's so thrilled to have a man of God leading her and providing for her and helping her fulfill God's will in her life. And folks, I want to tell you something. Sin can ruin it all. We need the grace of God to resist temptation. We need the grace of God to forgive. You know, the reason we don't forgive is because we're full of pride. And the reason we don't forgive is because we want our rights. And folks, we need to give up our rights and say, God, you have a right to humble me. And I want to forgive. Another thing uh, is that not only are we sinners saved by grace that can't meet each other's needs, only God can meet those needs, but we're selfish by nature. In Romans chapter 7, my time's up, so I don't have time to go into it, but you'll see the word I mentioned 18 times. I, I don't want to do this, I end up doing it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul, he's saying I, I, I. I'm weak, I'm wretched, I'm, I'm weak. I'm wilting. But then, praise God, in Romans chapter 8, and I have a message, get out of Romans 7, get in Romans 8, which says, but the Spirit, but the Spirit, but the Spirit. Folks, this thing's way above us. And we can preach and teach on uh, marriage all around the world, but I'm going to tell you something, friend. We need God. We need His Word, and we need His Spirit, or it's not going to work. If you don't get anything else out of this message, it's a quite somber, burning up hot service. But I'm going to tell you this. Don't miss this. You need God. And without God, two sinners can never do anything but manipulate. Get their way. Selfish by nature. Oh, friend, what was so bad in Genesis chapter 3? Go back to Genesis chapter 3. In verse 10 it says, And he said, I heard the voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. In chapter 2 it was, They're not ashamed, and everything was great, and everything was lovely, and everything was fulfilling. And then it said, Because of sin and Satan's deception, they were hiding themselves. But then it gets worse. Look at verse 12. Or verse 11. It says, And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Wherefore I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat. And the man said, here we go, The woman whom thou gavest to me be with me. She gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Isn't that great? Here's a man blaming his wife. Amen. That's it. But I want to tell you something, friend. He not only blamed his wife, he blamed God. He said, Whom thou givest me. And folks, I want to tell you something. So the greatest way to experience life together and experience being heirs together of the grace of life as we preached on the last two services is to do this. It's a part, to realize it's a part of our inheritance as children of God. And we've been adopted into the family of God to be heirs together of the grace of life. In Matthew chapter 7, 
Jesus is talking about two people that's building a house. And you used to sing these songs when you was little in, in uh, Beginners. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And then the foolish man built his house upon the sand, the Bible says in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 26. The rains ascended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat, uh, beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. It came to pass that Jesus has ended these sayings. The people were astonished at his doctrine. Folks, you ought to be astonished at this teaching on, on marriage. Not that I'm teaching it, but it's God's Word. It's God's blueprint. It's God's plan. And folks, listen, it's also God's authority. Look at verse 29. For he taught them as one having authority and not as a scribe. You're in trouble. You're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. If you say, Lord, I don't care what you say about marriage. I'm going to date and marry a lost boy. Because he can run a football across the goal line. All you football players smile at me now. Uh, he, he, you know, he's cool. He's macho. And I'm beautiful and we'll just be a good fit. I'm going to tell you something. You're going against God's authority. And you're going against God's plan. And I'm going to tell you something. Great will be the fall thereof. All other ground is sinking sand as the choir sang. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. All other ground except the rock of Jesus and building your marriage upon the foundation and the authority of the Word of God and by the Spirit of God is not just sinking sand, it is quicksand. You will go under. Mark my word. But don't mark my word, mark God's word. Why? Because He said, I will make Him a help me. The foundational truth is, God thought, of, thought this marriage up, and He has a right to print the blueprint. What I love about my God, He not only has the right to print the blueprints, He blesses us with the power. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness. Why don't you try this one on? Temperance. You can actually control your temper through the Spirit of God. Folks, listen. Don't take my word. It's a firm foundation. It's the authority of God. I want to close by singing this hymn in just a moment. But I want you to know, this morning I got up and got blessed by some old hymns. Somebody told me to go online and look at some neighboring churches at their front of their auditorium. And, and so I did, and I went in there and I started seeing the rock and roll music and the low lights and the swaying in the dark and I mean, I said, well, man, praise God, they don't have to worry about the color of the pew. They can't even see them. They can't even see who's next to them. But here's the praise team. They can't have Sunday night because they've got to practice all week for one big show. And you say, well, you're being ugly. No, I'm going to tell you something. I'm being rebukeful. Because that ain't, that ain't worship, and that breaks my heart. And folks, no man should get the praise, and no man should get the honor. No man should be a celebrity. I want to tell you something. We're just servants of God, and we're here to worship in spirit and in truth. And folks, I want to tell you something. I love the old hymns. I love them. Because those old hymns, these, there's some stories behind those hymns. That's, it's not some guy with electric guitar trying to be famous. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's not smoke coming up from the platform and strobe lights. 
And there's not, uh, not the darkness of the congregation looking at the show up on the platform. Folks that was worshiping these people have lives to back it up. Fanny J. Crosby wrote over 5,000 hymns. She was blind and she wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Folks, you might say, that's old antiquated. That's old fashioned. No, folks, that's, that's good worship. And I don't plan on changing. And I know we could be running thousands if I did. But folks, I want to tell you something. So is the Atlanta Falcons running thousands. And that don't make that spiritual. And listen to me. Some of these hymns talk about how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? foundation for the home is a firm foundation. All other ground is seeking sand. Let's pray. Father, I've had a struggle preaching this message. I don't know if it's me or what, but I don't go by feelings. I go by faith and I preach by faith. And Lord, I know that Genesis chapter 2 is your blueprints. Genesis chapter 2 is your plan. And thank God Genesis chapter 2 is your promise that we'll not be ashamed. That we'll have oneness. Not just physical oneness because that expresses the emotional oneness and the spiritual oneness. But God, we can have oneness because of your foundation for the home. God, fill our homes with precious Precious riches that money cannot buy. God, fill our homes with joy. Fill our homes with peace. Fill our homes with love. Fill our homes with courtesy and kindness and concern that's not common. God, fill our homes with your Spirit. And Lord, thank you that you have promised us with your authority Dear God, if we will go by your book and go by your blueprints and yield to your spirit, we'll live happily ever.